Father, this morning we just come to you, Father, for the hearing of your word. Touch us, Lord. Every year here, Lord, for the youngest one who is sitting in the hall, to us, the older ones, we all need to hear, Lord. Even I need to hear the word you are speaking through me, Lord. I'm not exempt, Father. So even as I speak, I pray, Lord, I will be just a vessel. But I too will be a hearer. That my spirit, my soul will be at your feet, listening to you, your word, O oh God. Because faith comes from hearing alone, O oh God. There's no other way faith can come, Father. So, Father, I pray, touch our ears. Touch our ears with your precious blood. Cleanse our ears. Sanctify our ears, O oh God. And our minds, our hearts. And as Peter sang today, Lord, lead us. We just surrender our will into thy hands, O oh God. Surrender us. Lead us, O oh Lord, in your ways. Teach us your paths. Those are ways that are everlasting. Oh, Father, we just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. Speak to us, Lord, and prepare us, prepare us every day for the coming of your Son, for the coming of your kingdom. That every time we gather, every time we hear and meditate upon the word, let it be just be a preparation for that day, Lord, that nobody is caught unawares, that everyone is ready, prepared, oh God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We'll turn and read a long portion for Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Second Peter chapter 3, yeah, chapter 1, 3 to... As, okay. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we can stop there. The rest also is part of that portion about how we'll get and we will never stumble and we get this just incredible welcome into the kingdom of God. But this words, if these things are yours, if these things are yours, whole list is given, if these things are yours, remember the power is here, his, the promises are from him. If we know how, how to appropriate his promises and use his power and if we have these things in our lives, Scripture says, you will neither be barren, dry, or unfruitful, empty. We've been hearing in the last week, Pastor Vijay, empty, dry. God says, you don't want to be spiritually dry and empty? Then I will tell you how you 
go through that process. Okay, how you go through that process. We are not looking at the whole process today. We look at a tiny, tiny little bit of that whole process. Okay, it's a lifetime process. These things don't happen in one day. But you need to be very sure, like this offertory song, Lord, lead me on, lead me on, Lord. This mind, this soul will play tricks, but Lord, I am surrendering by faith. Lead me on, even when my will is rebellious and embittered. Keep leading me on, Lord. Okay, lead me on, on that way. Okay. But the whole idea is, how do I become fruitful in the kingdom of God and not be dry and empty? So 10 months are over, we are in the 11th month. And you know, in the kingdom numbers, 10 months, there is an examination. So this is your annual examination. Okay, I would say semi-final. 31st, we will do the annual examination. Okay, semi-final. Because scripture only asks us to examine basically that. Examine yourself. Never says examine somebody else. Examine yourself, whether you are in the faith or not. Okay? I mean, it's not there up on the screen, but you should know it by now. Okay? Uh, uh, Pastor Vijay. I'm asking the children. <laughs> you are the encyclopedia, not you. Okay? Second Corinthians, chapter 13. And, uh, and verse... Five. Okay? Examine yourself whether you are in the faith or not. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Very familiar, but we need to know that. Okay? We are all said, any unsaved person here, I will not ask you that question. It's a very, it's a very embarrassing question to ask in a church. You can ask that in the street, but not in the church. For by grace you have been saved, but through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. We have been saved by what? By grace. We have been saved by, but through faith. Grace is of God. That's God's supernatural power of his Holy Spirit. We are saved by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. And it is from the beginning till the end, it is his work. But to receive it, what do you need? Faith. That's why we examine our faith. Because the question is, if you are saved, you have faith. You cannot be, you cannot be say, Lord, I am not say, I am saved, but I have no faith. It's not possible to be saved and not have faith. And if you have faith, God will say, what are you doing with your faith? What are you doing with your faith? Okay, James chapter 2 and verse 17. Okay, Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 also. <clears throat> Let us go there. Just, just reaffirming things we know very well. Therefore, having been justified, that's supposed to put the, the process of salvation. First, God justifies us, okay? How? By faith. And we have peace with God. And then, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Everything is by faith. And faith comes from and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, so quick prayer in your heart, Lord. Let me hear what you have to say, Lord. Because there is no other way. There is only one way you can get saved. It is through faith. Okay, it's grace that saves you, but it comes into your life through faith. So everything of God is received by faith and faith alone. So Romans 1.17, you will say from the beginning till the end. It's a faith unto faith. So that's why we come to the hearing of the word of God. So let's examine our faith. The first faith we'll examine is found in James chapter 2 and verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And 2 is 26. 2 26. 
For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there is a faith which is called dead faith. Please remember, it's a very dangerous, the most dangerous faith is not little faith, small faith, most dangerous faith is dead faith. Something called dead faith. And only Christians have dead faith. Unbelievers don't have dead faith. They have no faith. Unbelievers have no faith. Christians have dead faith. Can I have the slide? <coughs> Ajay, come here. Since your thumb is in your mouth, you can come here. Come Ajay, come here. I'm seriously calling you. Come. So you saw, if you have all these things, right? Faith, virtue, Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Eight things are mentioned. Look at Ajay. Okay, Ajay, lean back, close your eyes. Okay, close your eyes. Look at him. He's got virtue. It's wonderful. He's got knowledge. Awesome. He's got self-control. In the midst of hundred people, he can still sleep. He's got perseverance. He comes regularly to church, never misses a meeting. He's got godliness. He's got brotherly kindness. He's got love. It's all fantastic. But he has no faith. He's dead. He's dead. Now you know why the gospel is so difficult to the righteous? Because they look at their virtue. They look at their knowledge. They look at their self-control. They look at their perseverance. They look at their godliness. They look at their kindness. And this, I got it. God said, you are dead. Because you have no faith. Yes, Ajay, thank you. Put, a, put your hands together for him. Am I sounding like one of the TV preachers? Put your hands together. <laughs> Did you get the trap which the people get? Did you get the trap in which people fell? Salvation is not by virtue. Salvation is not by knowledge. Salvation is not by self-control. Salvation is not by perseverance. You are hearing something the pastors heard in Ranji for three days and told them, my church doesn't know this. They said, no, I said, I told Eric, they don't know this. Why? Because I got it only now. What to speak at each point. When to speak, where to speak. You may know stuff, but you only put it across at God's time. You don't go ahead of God. You may have godliness. You may have brotherly love. Leave this alone, okay? This love is not the love you are talking about. This love is the love of God. Faith and the, this is the nut and bolt. Okay, the bolt, lock her there. You have faith, you have love. And that's how it locks it up. This love you are talking about is God's love, agape. Everybody has love, but only by faith you can receive the love of God. That never fails. So when people say he is so loving, it is not true. The only one who was absolutely loving was Jesus. That's why he could go on the cross, bless his enemies and die. That's the love we God is talking about. That is agape. Okay? That love no man has unless he receives it by faith. So God who a man or a woman who is walking by faith, he will move them into such situations that they will see they are not able to love somebody and they will cry out to God and say, Oh Lord, I need your love that I may be able to love. You receive it only by faith. Receive it only by faith. It's not possible otherwise. 
Okay, so please get this very, very, very clearly. There is something that is called dead faith. Dead faith. And the danger is that Christians are caught in this. Because they look at their virtue. Virtue is fantastic. You need virtue. But after faith. Before faith is also good. But you need to come to Christ through faith. Okay. That's why I use that illustration. Think about a man who is going to be buried. Man or a woman. Let's put a woman. Pattusari. Kanchipuram Pattusari. 15,000 rupees. All the ornaments she had kept in the locker has been brought out and saja kiya hai achha se. Gale mein, haath mein, aak mein, kangan mein, sab jagah mein hai. Everywhere. Best sandals you can think of. Hush puppies. All the dogs have stopped barking also because she is wearing hush puppies. There she lies in her box because this was her last wish. Bury me like this. But everybody standing over there, nobody is looking at anything she's wearing. They're all saying, poor thing, she's dead. Is it true? That's what happens in the spiritual realm. People may have all this, but God says, poor thing, is dead. It's dead. Those things don't take you to heaven. Those things don't take you to heaven. This is where the righteous struggle. And Jesus always faced this as his ministry. And and he said, I have come to save the sinners, not the righteous. The righteous cannot be saved until the righteous acknowledge he is a sinner. You cannot be saved. Salvation is for the sinner. So please remember, that's why we come to faith. So there is something called dead faith. And all this can stand in your way. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 24. Now a certain ruler asked Jesus, that's him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. And then, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Is he virtuous? Of course, where can you get a young man like this? I kept this all from my youth. It's a virtuous. It's God virtue. And then Jesus asked him, yes. So when Jesus heard these things, he said, you still lack one thing. He said, all that you have distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Now this is an invitation. Come follow me. Come follow me. Sell all that. Come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. And he walked away. Did his virtue stand in the way? Yes. Virtue doesn't save you. Samaritan woman had no virtue. She had no virtue. But she put her faith in him. John chapter 4 verses 25 and 26 women said, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who spoke, I am he. I am the Messiah. You know the response? 
In verses 28 to 30, the woman then left her water pot, went away into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? It's the Messiah. Now if you put the young ruler here, with all his virtues, and the Samaritan woman with her past, who do you think would go to heaven? Ask a common man. They'll all say he will go to heaven. But she's the one who went. Don't count on your virtue. Virtuous people will find it very difficult to enter into heaven unless you humble yourself and see only by mercy and grace I will enter. Because virtue without virtue is good. We need virtue and we need to grow in virtue. We need to add, but add to faith. Add to faith. Virtue without faith is dead. What about knowledge? Isn't knowledge fantastic? John chapter 3 verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Aren't you the teacher of Israel? But did the teacher go out saved? No. The very knowledge stood in his way. We need knowledge. We need scriptural knowledge. We need theology. The knowledge of God. But you are saved not by knowledge. You are saved by faith. You are saved by faith. And he came in the dark, went out in the dark. What about self-control? Because third one we looked was self-control, right? I was learning all these words in Hindi. Vishwas. Sadgun. Sadgun. Gyan or Sayam. Yes, self-control. Sayam. I'll teach you a little Hindi also. Okay, Sayam. Do you know a man who had incredible virtue, knowledge and self-control? If you know your account of David's life, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where it is recorded he committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Okay? If you go to 2 Samuel and chapter 13 and verse 1, I didn't give you that, 13 and verse 1. Okay. The Bible uses the term in the Kaya. After this Absalom, the son of David had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. So after all this time is passing by. Okay, years have passed by. After this, all these incidents, after a long time, actually other versions will use in the course of time. If you come to verse 23 of the same chapter, I think it's 1323. Yeah? It came to pass after two full years. Two more years have passed. Absalom will kill this guy, his half-brother. Okay? He's banished. He runs away. And if you come to verse 38, so Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there for how many years? Three years. If you come to 1428, if I am right. I'm just giving you a time frame to see, show you something. 1428? What does it say? 
Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem but did not see king's face. Why I am giving you is an incident with Bathsheba has taken place. Years have passed by. Solomon is born. Absalom, the, the other brother, I forgot his name, took Tamar. He's two years later, Absalom kills him. Three years he runs away. After that he comes. Two years, time is passing by. Years and years and years and years have passed by. Through it all, there is a man called Ahitophel. He's a good man, a virtuous man, noble man, with incredible knowledge of God, with the counsel of God. He's got incredible self-control that all these years, 10 or 15 or I don't know, 16 years, 20 years, we don't know. He could control his expression, his feelings, his emotions that nobody ever doubted that he was planning to kill David. That's control. That's control. That you are never suspected. Never, ever, anybody has a clue what's going in this man's mind. That's self-control with a big C. That's control. So self-control is good. But he did not have the faith to believe and leave vengeance into the hands of God. Vengeance is mine, God said. I am the one who is the judge and the jury, not you. Don't take vengeance in your own hands. He didn't have the faith. See, these are all good attributes. Virtue is good, knowledge is good, self-control is good, perseverance is good. All these are good. But without faith, it's like lipstick on a pig. I got it from Fox News, okay? (laughs) That's what Kevin McCarthy said about the impeachment process of Nancy Pelosi. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. (laughs) Some terms just stick in your head on those words. Not words, those words. No faith. Nothing works with God. No faith. Look, Jesus looks around everywhere in his ministry, in his life, and even now. God looks everywhere. He's not looking for virtue first. He's not looking who has memorized the scripture. He's not looking who's sitting straight and stiff and can stare at pastor for two hours. He's not looking at any of those things. Who has persevered for 52 Sundays and never missed service or awareness. None of these things. All those good things are good. But that's not what it is. He's still looking today. Who believes? Who's come with faith? Believing in me. Who believes in me? Is That's what Jesus is looking for. The only thing that matters to God first is faith. And after that, all the other things. All the other things. Faith, 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 faith. Yesterday too, though I was so tired when I came back in the office, I was talking to another child and I was telling that child, there are two things you will need, you're going. I'll tell you two advice I will give you every day. One is that, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength too. Trust Him with all your heart, all your mind and say it every day. Say it every day. Because He is the high priest of my confession. I priest of my confession. Say it to God every day. I love you. I trust you. 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 I love you, Lord, and I trust you. And you will suddenly realize you will grow in both. 
both in your love for him and in your faith in him. A lot of things have, lot of things in life have to be confessed. Said so you do do these two things, God will start doing the rest. God cannot work in the lives of people who don't trust him. And God cannot reveal himself to people who do not love him. These are basics of relationship. Every day, speak this out. These are things which we practice. So remember this at the end, at the this, at top of your mind. Only faith saves. Virtue does not save you. It will give you a crown if you are saved. Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? They are getting it? They are looking at their virtue. They are looking at their virtue. We are virtuous people. If God is God, he should be walking with us and not with them. How come he is walking with them? And Jesus got a very good answer. He said, neither them nor you are saved. But they can be saved. You are difficult to save. They can be saved. They can be saved. Ask Peter, isn't it fun to go to the rural areas, Peter, to have missions, right? How they are. So easy. Worship is not like that. Everybody is on their feet. Everybody worships. Everybody. Preaching is very easy. They sit, they receive, they are very happy. Very easy. What does scripture say? Those who are well have no need of a physician. Both those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinners to repentance. Don't bank on your virtue, your knowledge, any of those. Six out of those eight things. Faith and love are from God. Okay. Then there is a second condition after dead faith. There is a second condition. So God, like I said, it's an examination. God will always put us through. Those who have started their walk by faith in trusting Jesus, believing Jesus alone for their salvation, he will start allowing them to go through process where your faith is tested. So suddenly you will realize... I trusted Jesus for this. And when it comes to something else, the application is not there at all. That's what, remember Mark 4 and verse 40, Jesus asked that very familiar verse which we looked, where he says, why are you fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You had faith to heal the sick. You had the faith to cast off demons. You had the faith to break the bread. But how come now you have no faith? How come you have no faith? So all of us will go through situations in life and we will suddenly realize, it seems I have no faith at all. No faith. Look at the same incident, how it is recorded in the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 8. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water. They ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Have you no faith? Where is your faith? 
What have you directed your faith? Look at the question. Master, master, we are. Where is your faith? You think Jesus sitting in your boat and you will die and go to hell? Think about it. Many of you, that's one thing I told them. Never, ever, if you're a believer, doubt your salvation from the beginning till the end. Because you are never saved by your works and you will never be saved by your works. You are saved by his work. Put your trust in that and that alone all your life. Don't ever question your salvation. Because if you question your salvation, you're questioning the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and adding your works to it. Never will. Never. If you sin, repent and go back and say, Lord, Father, not Father, I am sorry. Don't question your salvation if you are saved. If you have really believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, never ever question. Because that's what he's saying. Perishing? What did he say? What did he say? Perishing with me in the boat? Where is your faith? What is the object of your faith? The storm was there. I was at the back. I was sleeping. And you're all rowing, rowing, rowing. Few people are throwing the water out. The others must be rowing. Then suddenly, they can't. They realize it's going to capsize. He said, your faith was in your works. If you had been smart, you also would have come to the back and gone to sleep. The Lord is here. The boat can't sink. The Lord is here. The boat can't sink. Your faith was in yourself. Your faith was. That's why you feel you're perishing. A lot of people in the church feel they're perishing. You're not perishing if you believed in Jesus Christ. You saved yourself or he saved you. Where is your faith? Have you no faith? Because November is here. First month, 11th month is here. And suddenly you may face something which you never faced the first 10 months. And God says, apply the same faith. But the person is the same. He has never changed. Every storm, every trial, every test is the test of your faith. In James chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 scriptures says, Consider it pure joy, that's an IV. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? It is the testing of your faith. That's what has to be tested because... Faith is the most important component in that kingdom of God you're walking in. That's the most important component over there. Where is your faith? Have you no faith? So from dead faith, second thing to question is, do I have faith? Am I losing my faith in certain situations? Challenges come in my personal life, in my college life, my office life, my family life. Am I losing faith? From there to we will go to another that is called Little faith. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly as I say to you, if you have faith as a little, as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So actually he says, all you need is this much faith. If you have this much, can you see if I were to hold Rai ki daan, agar mere haath mein hai to dek sakte? Nahi dek sakte. You'll not be able to see. But God said, that's all it's needed. He says, all the people when my son walked on earth received the miracles because they had great faith. They had very little faith. But with that faith, they applied it. They knew the object of their faith and they applied the faith they had. 
Mark chapter 14. Let us look at scenario 1, verses 25 to 32. Mark chapter 14, verses 25 to... Matthew, 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 not Matthew, Mark, sorry. It's Matthew 14, yeah? Yeah. yeah. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Remember, they were going, he said, he, that's all. There are so many boat incidents in Jesus' life with the disciples. Have you noticed? You know why? He was testing their faith for our sake. He could have sat them down and given a lesson. He said, no, there will be generations of believers who come, including all of us. For them, you are the Bakra. They all need object lessons. So I'm going to test your faith so that all my children down the ages will learn what messes up your faith. So he sent them ahead. Now he's not in the boat. And there is a stop. And then suddenly they look and they see him walking on the water. They don't know it is him. They think it's a ghost and they are all very afraid. So now in the fourth watch, Jesus spoke to them. Yeah, of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be. What did he say? What did he say? Be of good cheer. It is. All students, what did he say? It is? That's correct grammar. It's not me, it's I. Little grammar. That's how you say in English, it's I. You don't say it's me, it's I. Okay? It's I. Do not say Jesus is grammatically fantastic because he invented language. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And then, so he said, come. And Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. So we are looking at little faith now. From dead faith to no faith to little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you? Okay, the first problem is doubt. Okay, why do we sink? Because we doubt. Because we doubt. What is God trying to teach us? He says, the day you were born again, by my word, by my spirit, I moved you from the natural to the supernatural. Don't walk like the others. You're going to face situations like before, but you're called to walk on it and not sink in it. You're going to face problems in your life, like before you were saved, but now you will walk over it. You will face problems in your marriage, but you will not allow it to drown you. You will walk over it. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. You know what happened to you, Peter? You walked on water, and then you started looking back at the circumstances. You were afraid, and you started sinking. And says, doubt is a major problem. Okay? Faith and doubt don't go together. Don't doubt. That's why I said, that's why we come to the teaching of the knowledge of God. You have to know who your God is. If you don't know your, who your God is, because faith is not some theory or something. Faith is your trust in a person. And this person is Jesus. And Jesus is the revelation of God, the complete revelation of God. So if you have to walk by faith, you need to know this person. And the more you know this person, the more you love him, and the more you trust him, it is easy. Problems are not going to go. The sea will be the sea. The storm will be the storm. The wind will be the wind. But he says, I'm teaching you how to walk over it. I'm teaching you how to face it without losing hope. How to walk without sinking. Why did you doubt why did you doubt? 
So you have to battle doubt every day. And you can only doubt every day by meditating and speaking. Speaking it out. God doesn't want to hear it. He already knows. You have to hear yourself say it. Because if you don't speak your faith out, you will speak your unbelief out. Look at what happened. Every one of them, when it happened, what came was unbelief came out. Look at Psalm 78, verse 19 and 20. Yes, they spoke against God. We don't understand our words of unbelief, our words against God. The unbeliever on the street cannot speak against God. Only the believer in the church can speak against God. God does not say Egyptians spoke against me. They have no knowledge of the living God. But the Israelites had. They had already seen the power of his hand in the land of Israel. How he brought them to the Red Sea. But what are they saying? Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? After seeing all this. After seeing all this. You see, they were able to believe for one thing, and then another thing, and then another thing. But as situations changes, they are not able to apply faith that God is the same. And that's what we all get caught in. We all get caught in. Can God, can God, can God, behold he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread and also? That was their constant refrain. Okay, God bread also. Can he give meat? God was so tired finally. He said, okay, I'll, sh- I'll give you so much meat. Okay, think in terms of quail has chicken. Suddenly they wake up. Everybody's tent is surrounded by chicken. They ate so You know when children eat too much and they throw up. It comes from their mouth and their nose. That's how it came. It said it came out of their nose. They were throwing up. They ate so much meat. Because I believe this is, okay, this is my imagination. Okay, I think my imagination is likely right. I believe they got this manna every morning. And God said, the manna you need, finish it off. If you keep it for tomorrow, it will go. What will have it? And then so much meat came in and they all said, hurry, if you keep the meat for tomorrow, it will go bad. Let us eat it. It started coming out of their nose. You should also know the capacity of your stomach. Can God, can God, can God. Okay, he took care of for the whole of 10 months, October also. Now November has come. Can God? Can God? Can God? Can God? Every year, my landlord, my office and the church office too, my landlord, my house, my wife handles better than me. Okay, there is different. The landlord is very different. He gives her Diwali off. I don't want rent. Let God bless you. My landlord is different. Every year he never asks, I increase the rent. Because they're both unbelievers. Every year I increase the rent. So he has never asked for an increase because I increase. Why? My God can. My God can. I will never shorten your hand with my unbelief. I'll never shorten your hand. So my landlord, you remember the, both the offices from the time it was built, it's been with us. Never in these years, eight years, nine years, ten years, has the landlord ever asked for an increase because I increase myself every year. Why? My God can. 
My God can. So you have to change your vocabulary. Can God? No. My God can. My, he brought me 10 months. He will take me through this month. He will take me through next year. I will not worry. I will not doubt. So first thing you have to handle is doubt. Don't doubt God. It's a terrible insult to doubt God. You have to understand. It's an insult to God to doubt Him. The creator of heaven and earth, the all-powerful God. Everything exists by the power of His word. And you are doubting, can God handle my teeny-weeny little problem? God says, child is good. He's such a loving God. He would have spanked the daylights out of us. It's loving. Scenario 2. Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 30. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than the clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you buy? Worrying can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And verse 29, Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, or you of? What a second block? Worry. Doubt and worry are not the same. Doubt is that I doubt the power of God. Can he, he did this, but can he really do this? Worry is something else. What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Where will I stay? Worry, worry. Because, oh, you have little faith. Why do you worry? You remember Jesus telling, bringing a little child and says, you must become like a little child to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? You enter into the kingdom of God by? Look at the children at the back. They don't worry at all. They have no doubt at all. Every one of them in the night will go sit down with their plate. No doubt. No worry. You may worry. You think your children are worrying, how was Dada going to pay rent today this month? They have no, that's your problem. They don't even worry about any of those things. Imagine one of your younger kids who's in school brings a chit from the uh, school. It says fees has increased by 2,000 rupees. What does he do? He comes in and gives it to your hand and goes, I'm going to play. Bye! (laughs) Isn't that what they do? Bye! He's gone! And you are sitting there, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, how am I going to pay this? Oh my God! God says, why can't you just be just like your child and come to me, take that slip, put it at my feet and says, I know you will take care of me. I will not worry. I will not worry. Lord, I will not worry, Lord. You are my father. I will not worry. I will not worry. Worry is a killer. You know how Jesus says about this? Yeah? I'm not that say Gentiles seek after these things. But your father in heaven already knows what you need. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. See, it's only without doubting and worrying by faith you can seek this. Faith doesn't mean sitting in your armchair. No, it means you have left doubt and left worry and doing the things which God has asked you to do. 
suffering. Remember that incredible statement God makes through Moses to the children of Israel. Why did you bring us here? We are going to die. God says, be still. Be still. And see the deliverance of the Lord. What did it mean? They have to pitch their tent and sit over there. He says, no, keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Be still inside. Stop worrying. Start doubting. And keep moving. Do the things you are called to do without worry. Being still means in your soul, in your spirit, you have rest. Why? Because my father is in control. In control. He says, stop worrying. Stop worrying. Doubt and worry kills faith. These are faith killers. Oh, you have little faith. Why is he talking about little faith? Your faith is so little. Because doubt has eaten most of it. Worry has eaten most of it. So tackle doubt and worry. But you can tackle these things only as you grow in the knowledge of who God is. Who God is. Who is God? I will not be dry. I will not be empty. I will not be barren and unfruitful. I will be fertile and fruitful in the house of God. In his kingdom. That's what he says. It is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. And worry and fear are killers. A pest that eat away the fruit. They are killers. Let's go to the third scenario. Mark chapter 16 verses 5 to 10. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Okay? It's all like happening in boats. Okay, like this is a boat classes. All, okay? It, classes are taken in boats. Okay, Another situation, they have gone in the boat. They had forgotten to take bread. Jesus was, Jesus' mind is never on bread. Okay? He's never worries about these things. So he's giving them a lesson. So they said, take heed of the, beware, beware and take heed and beware of the living of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Finished. Immediately they started. They reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have taken no bread. And Jesus being aware of it is said to them, oh you of little faith, why do you why do you? The third killer is reason. This happens only when you have gone to college. See, all the college graduates in Jesus' time were the Pharisees, the Levites, the Sadducees. They could receive nothing from Jesus because they were always reasoning. With God, reason doesn't work. If I can understand, see, I love apologetics, I love Ravi Zach and all, but I know you cannot convince a man there is God through reasoning. It's an act of faith. Believe and see if God is true or not. That's what I tell. I don't do apologetics. I said, I challenge you this thing, whether my God is true or not. Go to your room, get on your knees for the next seven days and ask Jesus if you are real, come into my life and see. I said, that's what happened to me. I challenged him. And I found he's real. I'm not going to convince your head. I put one argument, you will give another. This is not an argument thing. I'm not saying through apologies people don't get saved. I'm not saying that. Okay, Don't misunderstand me. What I am saying is salvation is an act of faith. You can use reason to explain to you about sin and hell. But what if he doesn't believe in sin at all? They start, they start on a completely different. Atheist starts on a completely different uh, premise. He says there's no sin. Death is an end. There's no hell, there is no heaven. I don't believe in anything you say. So you give him a test. 
Are you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. Are you afraid to die? No, I'm not afraid. Do you believe in anything? I don't believe in anything. But can you do anything? Yeah, I'm not afraid. Because I go home and call upon the name of Jesus. I test you. I challenge you. If you're not afraid, why can't you call on his name? Okay, I will try it. Only when you try it, you'll realize it's real. (laughs) Reasoning instead of trusting. Because I'll tell you, in real life, if you really hear from God, almost all the things, I will say almost all, if not all, the things he will ask you to do will not agree with reason. Reason is connected with the knowledge you already have. A set of premises you already have. Okay, please remember, even if you have a knowledge of God, this much till November 11, this is um, November 3rd, 2019, he may ask you something today which doesn't fit in any of that. Everything he asked Joshua to do, Moses did not do. Moses had a stick, I got a drumstick. I should give it to my mother, she'll cook it. Okay. Where happened to the pointer? They're giving me a drumstick instead of the pointer. Moses had a rod. Did you ever see Joshua? Different. If Moses has got the knowledge of God, he had acquired from his experience of watching God use Moses, it's not going to happen. Joshua is thinking, okay, we're going to cross Jordan. Oh, cool, cool. Jordan is a small river. Moses crossed the Red Sea. No problem. Where's my rod? Where's my rod? God said, you stand back. Let the priest go with the ark. It's different. It's different. It's not the same way. So don't bring reason in. Even your, so far, your knowledge of God. Don't bring it in. Don't bring it in. That's why I say missions are exciting. Like you turn up over there and suddenly you turn up with all the prepared text over there and then you reach that day morning, God says, I'm changing the text. If you are not used to it, it is terrifying. But after you have experienced the hand of God in your life, it's the most relaxing because you know, now there is no struggle. He's taken over. It takes a little time. But once you have understood that this is unfailing God and you can trust him. Reason is the block. God tells Elijah after he goes to, go to King Ahab and speak. Every time people, prophets have gone to the king, they lose their heads, they end up in dry wells, prisons and all. And you are told, go and speak. And after that, you just go speak. He speaks and then he hears, turn eastward, go to Kerit. And have commanded where does that fit in? Where does that fit in with your knowledge of the word of God? Raven is an unclean bird. Don't eat a raven. Raven is an unclean bird. Two, the raven, the other raven you know is the raven in Noah's ark, the fellow who never came back. If you're going with your theological knowledge, you will start arguing, Lord, reason does it. No reason. Okay, Lord, fine. Water is there. He drinks. And then scripture says, he probably sees evening. Probably he reached there by evening. And then he looks. Ah, ah, coming. Food is coming. It doesn't fit. You have explained to this. It doesn't fit logic. Because the English word extremely hungry, ravenous comes from raven. Forget bread and meat. That fellow won't even leave a worm. In Malayalam, we have an incredible saying, Elanaki Naida Chirinakida. 
Meaning people there in Kerala hotels and they eat on the banana leaf, no? And after that they throw it outside. The dogs will come and finish everything off. The last dog that comes, he's got nothing on the leaf, so he will lick the mouth of the dog that licked it. That is the raven. He leaves nothing for anybody. It doesn't fit your reason. The raven is coming. Unclean bird with kosher food. Fresh baked bread and halal chicken. He's bringing. Does that fit with your reason? No. That's what I said. You have to learn to hear and obey because God is not going to be reasonable with you. Because he doesn't want to fit with your reason. Then God is too small. Then after this, this thing, everything, the brook dries. Then here's, go to Zarefa. You know it. Sidon, Jezebel's father's kingdom, right under his nose. Go there, have commanded a widow. Does it fit? Does it fit? Doesn't fit narrative at all. It doesn't fit your reason at all. And then after that, after a long time, again the word of the Lord comes, go to Carmel. Even more drier place, from dry to dry to drier, God is teaching him to grow in faith. And whatever happens in Carmel has nothing, it doesn't fit in with reason at all. Absolutely doesn't fit in with reason. Does it? No. Who would pour water? Who would dig a trench? Who would stand alone against 400, 600, 700 false prophets, the king, his army and the people all alone? Who will? Does it fit your reason, Elijah? No. But God said, and you will do it yet. Why? I trust him. I know he's able. Everything that he did, did not fit into reason. And then what happened, if I am right? 18, right? First Kings chapter 18, verse 38. Let me see. My memory is not as good as Pastor Vijay's. He's a mathematician. He's good with numbers. I'm good with alphabets. We came from two different streams. Yes, I'm right. Then the fire of the Lord fell. We all read this. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifices and yeah, I understand that much. I understand that much. Fire burns flesh, fire burns wood. But that's not what is written after that. And after that, you see, the altar was something like this. Here is the animal. Here is the wood. It ate this. It ate this. It went down, down until it finished the water. What is the stone in your life which you think the fire of God cannot take? What's the stone? What do you think is impossible with man is possible with God. The stones in your life, the fire of God, the hardened heart. Stone heart can be destroyed by the fire of God. That's why we ask for God, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit and fire. Because this fire was seen on Mount Carmel, has to fall upon my heart. It can burn stone, it can burn dust, and it can go deep in and finish everything that is contrary to God in my life. That's how you believe. That's faith. We are not reading this for illustration. We are asking, Lord, open my eyes so that from Mount Carmel I can apply that in my life. I need your fire. Because there are stones in my life. Stones in my life. This is faith. This is faith. There's no other way you 
can walk with God. You have to believe He is. That's why Moses asked him, who do I send me? He says, I am that I am. That's all you need. Not I am that I was. I am. I'm always the same. I'm never changed. I'm all powerful. And I can do everything that I please. The counsel of my will. I will do it. I've seen the end from the beginning. When you look at all that, you say, Lord, no reasoning. I am not reasoning. Lord, no reason. I'm not saying this happens in one day. But I'm saying you have to grow to it. Constantly be on. That's so God will test you. And you'll say, Lord, am I doubting? Am I worrying? Or I'm thinking too much. No, God didn't ask all the things from Abraham in one day. It was a process. But he was coming to that process where reason does not. And you can ultimately take faith and reason and put it together. That is when you realize your mind has agreed with faith. Abraham, yes Lord, take your son, your only son Isaac whom you love. All that is mentioned there. Go on a three day journey and offer him as a sacrifice. I'll tell you the amount. So he heard and I believe it's a process. He next day left. Third day he's been traveling. Third day, range of mountains and the spirit of God is saying that one. So he's heard a second day. This mountain prepares the altar, ties up his son. Lifts the knife. Tell me, is there any reason there to obey God? Can you reasonably obey God in this? No. Go to Hebrew. Chapter 11. 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises offered his only begotten son. How did he offer it? Not by reason. By But reason was there. Read the next verses. Of whom it shall be said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding. Other word, reasoning. That God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figure. It's not that faith blocked all reason out. Reason was there. What is that? God told me to kill him. But God also told me that it is out through this the seed shall come. So if I kill him, he will raise him back to dead. So reason and faith have gone together. Reason is not now contrary to faith. Faith and reason are walking together. So we are reasonable people. But when your reason opposes faith, you'll say, no, I'll go by faith. I'll go by faith. So I have to be very, very careful. Worry, doubt, reason. That's why I said, find one place in the Bible where God asks a man or a woman to do something that will fit in with reason. God says, no, my people shall walk by faith. And when you walk by faith, the others around you, nice, good, godly, virtuous people with brotherly love will not understand you. Because faith can be understood only by faith. Cannot be understood by reason. Can really be understood by faith. Adding virtue, knowledge, person, all that is good. But... To faith. Remember, Jesus loved, loves all these things, virtue. He loved the young ruler. He loved the young ruler. Scripture says Jesus loved that young man. But he's pleased by faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. We need faith. And you are coming for the hearing of faith. So that you take this and apply it into your lives. And say, Lord, this is my struggle. But I believe in you. Don't try to work out your own salvation. 
With fear and trembling, yes, but don't try to work it out yourself. Apply faith. When you apply faith, you are doing it, but the power is God's. It's not yours. Power is yours. Okay, it's not. So there is dead faith. There is situations where you realize you have no faith. Or we realize you have very little faith. Let's go to the fourth one. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Let him ask. How? Ask it. Not with knowledge. And faith. Knowledge and faith, if they go together, they're fantastic. But knowledge without faith is useless. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm coming to you. No faith, okay? I'm just mouthing words, okay? According to Psalm 107, verse 20, you sent your word and healed me of your diseases. Psalm 103, all that is knowledge without faith. It's not going to work. And after you finish praying, doctor, what should I take? Knowledge has to be added to faith. Added to faith. Faith with knowledge is fantastic. I believe in you, Lord. And I can also remember every instant in scripture and in my own life where you have done this, Lord. You add knowledge to faith. Okay. But scripture says this, ask in faith with no doubting. Anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. What is that faith? That's a wavering faith. It wavers. Today it believes, tomorrow. It's like, love me, love me not. Love me, love me not. Love me, usually always you end up with love me not. I am saved, I'm not saved. I am saved, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. Finally, I am not saved. What will I do? Pastor, I think I'm not saved. Everything is wavering. Wavering faith, staggering faith. Our faith can wave off, waver on and off and off like a blinking light. Blinking light is very good to see, but you can't read under it. Right? Very nice to see, but it is. Can you read? If Peter comes to church on Sunday, doesn't come on Wednesday. Next Sunday is not to be seen at all. How can I trust him? Today he has great faith. He was in the worship team. He did the offertory. Next day his phone is switched off. No, it's not. His phone is always on. It doesn't work sometimes. Okay, that's all about it. He is awake. Okay. Did you see? Wavering faith. Look at verse 5. If any of you lack, lack uh, any of you lacks wisdom, let him. Who? That's the object of your faith. You need to have, be very clear who you are asking. Ask of God and ask in faith. Did you see? God in faith. I trust you, Lord. I'm asking you. Ask of God and ask in faith. The object of faith is God. It is not our prayers. I get upset with my wife and I said, why are all these people calling you? They trust in your prayers. I said, you're not helping them. You're not helping them. So Jesus didn't do that. So Jesus was trying to make everyone depend upon God. Daughter. What did he say? Your faith has healed you. Your faith. Did he say that? Two blind men are following him. Lord, have mercy. He 
went inside. They followed him. Do you believe I can heal you? They said, yes. He said, let it be according to your faith. What is he trying to teach us? Be connected to me. We need all this. But when you are all connected to God, you become fruitful. What is the point of me for the, all the years of my life? I am alone, fruitful and my church is dry and barren. What's the whole point? The whole point is that everybody should be fruitful. So that we are released to reach out to more and more and more and more and more train others to be fruitful. Everywhere you see, that's what Jesus is doing. What is he trying to do? You see, and he has no, like I said, he has absolutely no ego at all. Jesus was a man who walked on earth, zero ego. You shall do greater things than me. Can you think about that? I love it when my young people do better than me. I'm very happy. I want to be like him. And if I don't feel happy, I make, I sing immediately because I want to be happy. I want to have, be like you. And I'm telling you, what he said is true even in my life. I speak in more languages than Jesus did when he was on earth. I've gone to more places on earth than he ever did. And he has no ego issues at all. He says, good dad. I want everybody to do that. I'm not a jealous brother. I'm not an elder brother. He has no issues. He has no, honestly, children, he has no issues. He is what, you have to understand the nature of God. God, is, he thrills in his children being fruitful. Which father have you heard his son brings his, dad, dad, look at this, what happened? When my BA, I got 80%, this thing, I got only 60%, this fellow got 80. <laughs> Does the father say like that? That's what he says. If you earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good things, how much your father is a good God? Don't doubt. Don't worry. Don't reason. Don't waver. In Romans 4.20, this is what scripture says. He did not waver. He did not waver at the promise of God through Unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He did not waver. What is he talking about? Let me give you the history behind this. God waited. God has no issues with, I mean, Abraham and all, he waited, okay? Don't think he'll wait for you and me, okay? They all lived for 175 years and also God could wait. We all who do not know whether we are going to die of chicken gunia or malaria or not. Please say, Lord, wait for me as you waited for Abraham, okay? We live in a different time span. So waiting also, don't wait too long, okay? But God had no issues. He waited until he was 99 years old. At 99, God came. In 1724, in chapter 17, he will say, circumcise. Stop relying on your flesh. And verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. That's the cutting away of the flesh. No more trust in self. No more trust in self. No more trust in self. Okay, that's it. In 18.1, the next chapter, you will see God appeared. And the flesh is gone. Earlier also he appeared, it was just a voice. Second time he appears, he's a person. So the more your flesh dies, your knowledge of God will change. How he reveals himself to you changes. Till 18, he doesn't reveal himself to Abraham the way 
Earlier, all it was different, different ways. In 18, he comes home. Has chai and all. Has actually beef. And uh, Modi Amisha may not approve, but Jesus had beef. Okay. He came. Appeared. And in verse 10, listen to what he says. He said, after he's eaten everything, okay, before you really, really want great breakthroughs from God, by faith feed him. Feed him with your praise, with your worship, with your adoration. Just don't go running and say, Lord, I want this. Feed him nicely. Feed him nicely. He fed him nicely. And they're all running. A 99-year-old man running to Sarah, 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 cook. In a haste. It's written, he ran. Running to serve God. Fed him well. And God says, you know what? I will certainly return to you according to the time of the life. Behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Sarah and Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed. It's never written in the Bible, Abraham laughed. Sarah laughed, Abraham did. Abraham didn't laugh. Though he's ninety nine. He's an old man. Old man. He did not waver in faith. Flesh is dead. God has said next time this year, you will have a child. Sarah laughed. Abraham did not laugh. Did you get it? With thought staggering, wavering in faith, he was strengthened in his faith. Look at verse chapter 4. Go back to Romans 4. Who contrary to hope, in hope believe. There is a hope that is natural. All of us have natural. Two people get married. They have a natural hope. We are young. Probably in the next few years, we'll have our children because they have hope in themselves. Now that hope is gone. You are 99. Your wife is 90. Medically, scientifically, physically, you speak in any language you want. It is There is no hope. The time is up. Contrary to hope, in hope believed. That hope comes from God because he spoke. Just one word. Next year, this time, you shall have a child. And he did not waver in faith. Because now he's not reasoning. How is it? She laughed. And she's reasoning. Actually, she's reasoning. Yeah? She went by science, medical science, and said, it's not possible. She laughed. And God said, why did you laugh? Is anything too difficult for me? Why did you laugh? Don't you laugh. My wife will come back and tell, 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 let us have a baby. It's after my life. I said, it's not possible. I am not Abraham. You are not Sarah. Because <laughs> all these young ones are planning, planning. These old ones are no plan at all, but we can't have. Did you see? Contrary to hope, in hope believed. There's a hope that is natural. Even when that hope goes, that's reason. Reasonably speaking, it is not possible. But faith and reason don't go together. Sarah was reasonable. Abraham was a man of faith. And God asked Sarah, why did you laugh? So scripture says, and not being weak in faith... He did not consider his own body. 
Don't consider your own circumstances. Don't consider your own strength. Don't consider your own influence. Don't consider your own education. Do not consider your own resources. That's the body. Do not lean on the arm of flesh. Don't. Whatever you call yourself, you can do. Don't rely on that. But already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not consider that. And what the scripture says, he did not waver. At what? The promise of God. That's what he's holding on. You said, I believe. Contrary to hope, he hoped in that word God had spoken. And being fully convinced. You see that? Fully. Because if a man doubts, he will receive nothing, anything from God. Fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. If I agree to anything about the word of faith preachers, it is only this part. Problem with that, they confess without hearing. They will take every promise as their own. No, I don't do that. But when I have heard, I promise, I confess, I believe. You said, I hang on to that. You said, and I'm gonna, I'm not going to waver in this. I can wait. No issues. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, it doesn't matter. You said, it will come to pass. You said, it will come to pass. With thought. Therefore, it was accounted to him as? Who is a righteous person? Who believes God? Do you know who is a righteous person? It doesn't fit with the reason. A righteous man is a man who has got virtue. God says a righteous man is who believes in me. So these are two opposite tangents. In the world, in any religion, a righteous man is who has? Who has virtue. God says, no, any man who believes in me is... Righteous. And he was called righteous. Abraham was called righteous many times in his life. For different times he acted on faith, God called him, he was righteous. Every time you put your trust in God, God says, you are righteous. Every time. He looked up the stars and he said, he believed. God said, you are righteous. God came to his tent and he said, you shall have a child next year. That was years later. He said, I believe. God said, you are righteous. He took Isaac and bound him onto the altar, lifted the knife. You read James chapter 3. He says, God says, you are righteous because you believed. This is in growing in righteousness. When you grow in faith, that's what happens. You grow in righteousness. Okay. God says, it doesn't end there in verse 23 what it says. Yeah. Now it was not written for his sake alone. That it was imputed to him. Yeah. Let's have the next verse also. Yeah. But also. But also for us. If you don't waver. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So it's just not Abraham. God says you two don't waver. Don't waver. Get the principle. Don't waver in your salvation. Don't waver in your walk with God. Believe here, walk. Believe here, walk. Don't waver like I keep telling about. Salvation is where people waver. If you if you waver in your first step, how will you go further? And so many of you sitting here, I know you doubt your salvation. Either you are not saved or you don't believe you are saved. They wanted to do Jesus' work. Look at John chapter 6, 28 and 20. Then said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? We want to do the works of God. Just said, look, this is the first work you have to do. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him that 
whom he said. That's the first thing you need. First work you have to do is just believe in me. That's what I said. That's the first step. If you don't have the first step, how do you go further? Believe. Trust him. Trust him. Why does God say believe in me? You know why? Because God believes in himself. God created everything by faith. He said and it came to be because he believed in himself. He didn't make a prototype like engineers do and make a master plan. No, nothing. Let it be. Let there be light. Let there be. He believes. He believes in himself. And God says, I'm looking for people who believe in me. He operates by faith himself. And God looks for men, women and children who will believe in him. A double-minded man will receive nothing. Don't be double-minded. Oil and water don't mix. Spirit and flesh don't mix. Oil and water don't? Spirit and flesh don't? That's why you waited till 99, until the flesh was dead. Then said, shall have a child next year. If you try to... Try to mix oil and water. You will get a very strange combination. It will light fire and then put it out also. If you try to mix spirit and flesh, the promise of God with the flesh, you will get an Ishmael, a child born of the flesh, but who is a rebel. Because the mother is flesh, Hagar. And the product is rebellion. I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about the works we do. Well, Abraham plus Sarah is equal to Isaac, which is laughter, peace, joy, and righteousness. Don't mix flesh and spirit. Double-minded man is trying to mix both. Don't do it. Wait. God said, wait. And he mixed. And God and Ishmael, which is trouble till today. Second thing. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Wavering faith. Don't mix these two. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from. From where? Yeah, you can't mix both. You need money. But you can't put God and money together at the same time. You can either have God or money. The guys who tried it like Balaam and all, he wanted God and money. Don't try to do that. You do it the rich young ruler, why did he walk away sadly? Because he wanted eternal life, Jesus and money. So Jesus looked at him and said, you can't serve two masters. It's not possible. I look at you. It's not possible. Yet this thing's very clearly. What is a double-minded man? What is that? How do you not waver, stagger in faith? It's by don't mixing things that are unmixable in God's kingdom. All the money you need, God will give you. But you will never put money first. You put it always behind. Always, always behind. And you will never fear. Why do you think God asked all these poor people in the Bible to give what they had? Have you noticed? The little poor widow in Zarephah, the little boy with fire. Why do you think, you know what? We will part with everything except money. Because that's our security. That's our security. We say, Lord, I trust in you, but hand is here, I trust in you. 
One hand is holding it very clearly. Why well, trust in you? Because you don't. You trust in your money. He doesn't want our money. He wants us to trust in him. He says, the only way you will trust in me is when I tell you to give, give. And he usually asks for your last penny. I'm not saying, I'm not asking you to bring any offering. Or I'm saying you have to hear from God very clearly. And you'll always see if you have got something that is holding you back, which makes you double-minded. He asked only the young, rich young ruler. Sell everything and follow me. So that's holding you back. Since you cannot waver in your faith. And we saw in Matthew 4 and verse 30, you cannot, 40 sorry, you don't have to turn there, you cannot have both fear and faith. You cannot. As long as you are afraid, you will not walk with God. So God will deal. He's very kind, very merciful father. You saw that video I showed two years ago, two Sundays back. The reason was I wanted to see this kid would never be like me. Because I was petrified. Never did anything public in school, college, nothing. No speech at all. Could never do it. Terrified. Only time, I, I don't know what I muttered that day when I stood for election in undergraduation. One class, we went for vote, the whole group went. Suddenly they asked me to speak. <sighs> I already wanted to give my resignation withdraw. I am not standing for election. I muttered, never did. Never did. Never spoke. Petrified of public speaking. Fear. So that kid when he was four years old said, you will never be like me. I want to train you right now. You, I'll begin the meeting with you. Fear cripples. But God is merciful. He took Gideon through process. Okay, do this in the night. Then do this, do this, do this. Little, little. He's saging is fearful man. Very fearful man. And finally he told him, okay, one more thing, Gideon. Just go to the enemy's camp. Listen to what they say about you. And he comes back and he says, ready to fight. Okay. Don't be fearful. Because you're fearful and faithful. It's very difficult. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, but not fearfully and faithfully. Fear and faith don't mix. Don't mix. Okay, so you heard about dead faith. You heard about no faith. You heard about little faith. You heard about reasonable. That's that's all got to do with little faith. And then you heard about wavering faith. Let me tell you one tough one. Matthew 10 verses 37 to 39. You cannot love God and love self. It's not possible. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy. These are all part of yourself. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy. He said, you cannot, you simply can't do it. It's not that you are not saved. He said, I will never use you. I will never use you. You cannot be used. Because you will quit and run when you are pulled. And then after that, he who finds his life will lose it. He loses his life for me will. That's why he says many are called, very few are chosen. Why? Between the calling and the choosing, you used to see whether I can get rid of all this extra baggage. I mean, he's not saying you not love them. He says, don't love them more than me. So you cannot love self and love God. Your faith is gone. It's not possible. You will not obey. Your faith, you will not be able to trust God. You will not. The widow at Zarephath was planning to make two rotis and she give it to herself and her little boy, eat and die. But that's not what the prophet said. Yes, do that. But before that, you make your first cake and give it to me. 
And now she has to choose between herself and more than that her little boy or God. And she chose God. And the miracle began. God is not asking you to give yourself so that he can consume it, so that he can multiply you. But that's the only way. There is no third way. And that's everywhere you knew these blocks will come. Why do people stagger in faith? They stagger in faith because either they try to bring flesh in or they bring money in, they bring self in, or the fourth one. First Timothy 6, 20 to 21, kind of similar to the earlier. Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Knowledge. Okay. Knowledge. Human knowledge, false knowledge. Says, walk away, Timothy, walk away, walk away. After a point, walk away. That's why God says to me, some of you call me and they said, don't get into arguments in your companies and all. Don't get. Walk away. Walk away. You cannot argue with somebody which they haven't experienced. You cannot. Walk away. Because salvation is an experience. After you have told them the basics, fundamentals, they have to experience it. Salvation is not an act of your mind. The mind is involved. Your will is involved. It is an experience. Knowing God is an experience. And you will experience it. Even a little baby knows his parents. You try taking one of the little ones, it will start crying. Because they know the hands are different. They even know the difference. They know the face. They know everything. They know this is not my mother. The baby also knows its mother. The full-grown child also knows its mother. So salvation is an experience. What is falsely called knowledge? Walk away. You cannot be a secular Christian. There is nothing like that. You cannot be a liberal Christian. There is nothing like that. You cannot be a gay Christian. There is nothing like that. You can be a Christian who is struggling with homosexual tendencies, absolutely fine, go to God, he will deliver you. But you cannot say I am gay and Christian. No, you cannot. This is where the contradictions happen. This is where the issues happen. These are real issues. You see, once you take God out of the picture in a Christian world, you take God out of the picture, you have opened up the Pandora's box. That's what happened in the Western world. The confusion is not in the Eastern world. It's in the Western world. It's creeping up here also. Here there is no problem. See, when they change there, they will change here. They have no issues with anything here. Homosexuality, government will say after some time, no problem. Because we opened up something in one of our Vedas or two statues we saw together, they were male. So it is okay here also. They will come up with everything. They will say, okay, uh, this one had five husbands, so why can't one husband have three wives? They will come also with that because everything can be sanctioned. Because they don't have truth. So the fall takes place who were the custodians of truth. That's why Jude says, content for the faith that was given to you once and for all. All the fall took place where those who were the absolute confusion in the western world. Today you are male, afternoon you are female, next day you are fighting for those rights and the legislations are being changed. Why? Because he took the truth out. So be very, very clear about about these things. Very, very. Today this morning I had a call from a very senior pastor from another state saying, Pastor, what do I do? There is confusion about communion. Within the church. There is a confusion about baptism. Confusion about communion. 
confusion about baptism and the Holy Spirit. All this, so when you know that you cannot argue, walk away. You know what it is and what it is not. Don't get into arguments. Show them from scripture, it is this. And if they don't want to believe, that's a problem. No babies were ever baptized in the Bible. The confusion is arising is because in one state, one set of people have said that the Israelites, when they came, they all ate the Passover lamb and ate so now babies all can be given communion in the church. So they haven't read 1 Corinthians 11. Confusion. So as you grow in your faith also, you will face a lot of issues and you will have problems, contradictions. And this is true knowledge. And you have to go back into the word of God. That's what I always have repeated in the church so many times. I believe everything in this Bible, even if I have not experienced it. Everything. If God took Philip in the spirit, if he wants, he can. I will never negate that. Everything that is written here, I believe. If Indian Ocean has to be separated, it can be. Oh, those things. Who told you those things don't happen? I believe everything. Everything that is written over here, I believe. Wine can be turned to water. Water can be turned to wine. Everything I believe. Why? I will never shorten your arm. It doesn't have to happen in my life. There are so many things that doesn't have to happen in our life. That doesn't mean God is not capable. Never ever bring knowledge and block faith. Your faith becomes wavering. 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 There's an incredible, as I close and go to communion, there's an incredible statement in Acts chapter 7 verse 22. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now go to Exodus 4 and verse 10. This is 40. This is 80. Moses said to the Lord, I am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. How do you reconcile to these verses? Scripture says he was mighty in deeds and in words. And it's scripture also, he tells God. He tells God, not man. You can fool man. You can't fool God. What does he say? I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What is he actually saying? I believe he's saying, I deny my past. That was Egypt. I deny my past. It's dead. That's what happened to me 20, 25, 30 years ago. All my secular books, secular music, Everything. God said, put it away. Take all your certificates, put it in the file and put it away. It's dead. It's all gone. Any man who is in Christ Jesus, it's a new creation. All old things have passed away. God was waiting for this point to pick this man. He was mighty in words, mighty in deeds. And then he says, I am nothing. I am nothing. Then God says, that's okay. Who is the one who gives the lip, the tongue, the ear, the everything? Is it not? But if you keep on professing your humility, it becomes false. No, no, Lord, I cannot. God got angry, scripture says. He got angry. And Moses goofed up. First goof of Moses made. God said, okay, you still will not? He says, no, I will send somebody else. He said, okay, your brother is coming. He had no clue his brother is coming. God says, your brother is coming. Now, he shall be your mouth. He shall be your That's where the trouble all began. 
Moses speaks to Aaron, Aaron speaks to the people. Who is the front for the people? Does he know God? That's why he said, I guard this pulpit with my life. Everybody is not allowed to preach. I will not repeat Moses' mistake. I get Aaron over here who speaks, who doesn't know God. Then before you know, you are all after Aaron to make a golden calf. And there are some people who are trying to build golden calves. Whenever there is a preacher who comes here, you are not familiar with it and he preaches well. You immediately go downstairs and try to get counsel from him about an issue which you have heard hundred times from us. It is wrong because you want confirmation for your sin from somebody else. Be very careful. You are revealed. Nobody who has been here for all these years needs any more counsel. It is white and black. There is no gray areas. Everybody knows what is right and what is wrong. But you know, the minute a new speaker comes and speaks, you will go down and ask, what about this? As if you don't know. The problem is not with the speaker. The problem is with you. With you. Aaron could have said, no. I'm not making anything. I'll wait till Moses comes back. Aaron did. Aaron went immediately. And said, I'll make what you want. So be very careful. Your faith is revealed. Your knowledge of God is revealed. This is how trouble begins. This is how trouble begins. You know why? Because you don't want to believe what you have heard. You don't want to accept God is who he says he is. Always looking for something to justify something which you know is not right in God's sight. That's why this has got nothing to do with all these feelings, emotions and things don't work in God's kingdom. What place does emotions have God's kingdom? If emotions is not serving God, what, what place does it have? If emotions are serving you, you are serving self. Emotions should serve God. So get it all in place in its order. So look at what God is doing with Moses. Incredible man. And emotions got into the place and messed him up. He said, no, I cannot, I cannot. You send somebody. No, I will not go. He says, okay, get Aaron. And messed his ministry up. That's where the trouble started. His trouble started. Imagine it was only Moses and only Moses and only Moses and only Moses for 40 years. It would have been a different story. Have been a different story. But he, he was stubborn. And he said, and God said, okay, if that's the way you want, that's the way you will have. So you have to be very, very careful about these things. No, don't, like I said, stubbornness and perseverance are cousins. They are cousins, twins, only in two different directions. Perseverance, you're perceiving God. Stubbornness, you're perceiving self. But they look like, look the same. They look the same. That's why I said perseverance is attached to faith. It comes after faith, not before faith. Let me ask you this question. Was Ahitophel a perseverant man? Of course. I'll wait. I can wait. I can wait as long as I want. I can wait. I will wait. When the time comes, I'll get you. Persevering. There are a lot of people like that. Lord, I am not giving up my this man and only this man I want, Lord. This man only I want. God says, wait. 
And you think you are faithful. Young children, I'm telling you, don't goof off your life. Young ones sitting over there, young ones, you want to have idols in your heart and pursuing this dream. You get a knock on your shoulder, you get two knocks on your shoulder, let your eyes be open. God is telling you that accident wasn't a joke. It was me who protected you. You could have died. I was giving you a wake-up call. You didn't, you didn't realize I put your hand over there and protected you. Now don't go back the same route. One accident, two accident, two falls, three falls. God says be careful. I tell you, the first beginning of faith, you have to begin where God began. God did not begin at our, we all live and we die. God begins with death. He overcame death and says begin from there. You never have to fear death. So the believer for the believer, death should be a victory. It's overcoming. But I always personally believe this. If there is a young man or a young girl who is in the Lord running well and then straying away, the father knowing that this one is going to stray away and he'll cut their life short and take them home. And we will sit there and cry, my son died so young. God said, thank me that he died young. I loved him more than you loved him. So I took him home when he was at his best. That was his best. He's not going to go any further. But you don't have to die like that. A lot of people playing with fire. It's not just for you. It's for around the world. A lot of people playing with fire. Oh God, it's a consuming fire too. Don't play. Don't play with him. Be very, very serious about this. Because what it cost him to save us is the life of his own son. So be very, very, very serious about it. Very, very serious. We started now ending in a very serious note. Salvation is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And there are people who still haven't made their life decision yet. When you don't decide on Jesus after all these years, God may say, that's it. Enough. He said, I didn't say that. My spirit will not contend with man forever. My spirit will not. And you need to ask yourself, what is stopping you? That's when you have to use your reason. What is stopping me for bending my knee to Jesus? What is stop? I'm talking about salvation because I know there are people sitting here right now listening to me who haven't accepted Jesus. Who haven't surrendered their lives. My question is, what is stopping you? What is stopping you? What more do you knowledge do you need? What more knowledge do you need? The question, what more knowledge do you need? It's a personal decision. But you cannot put away that decision forever. You cannot. Because the problem is with problem of hearing the word of God is that if you hear the word and don't respond to the word of God, the heart only goes harder. That's a concern. The heart only goes harder. It doesn't get soft, it gets harder. You don't have to come to me. You need to go to God. You don't have to come to any one of us. I didn't go to anybody. I went to God and surrendered my life. You need to go to God, bend your knee one-on-one with him and say, Lord Jesus, I heard enough. Come to my life, Lord. I surrender. I heard today, Lord. I just surrender, Lord. Take over my life. People are dying left, right, center in this city, everywhere. Today morning I heard pastors committing suicide. People in the mental hospital, Christians, all left, right, center around the world. 
And God said it will happen in the last days. So what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? So make up. Today is the 11th month, the third day. And there are a lot of people who have not got baptized. What are you waiting for? If you believe and be baptized, you will be saved. You can't get baptized first and then believe. No. I got baptized on the 8th day. I didn't believe, so I got baptized again when I got saved. Just to fit in with the word of God. Not your own personal opinion. Scripture is very clear. Repent, believe and be baptized. That's the order. Everywhere in the Bible. So why are you not baptized yet? Ask these questions. The only one I know in the new covenant who died without getting baptized was a thief on one side. Nobody else. What are you waiting for? Let's get serious. They're doing a test. And after that we are going to the table. Let's be very serious. These are all issues of faith. What is dead faith? Faith without? Yeah, faith has works. And baptism is one of it. Repentance is one of it. It has works. Faith without? Faith has its own works. Like sight has its own works. Faith has its own works. Repent, believe, and be baptized. That's works of faith. And then come daily, regularly, for the teaching of the word, for fellowship. For the breaking of the bread and prayer. These are all works of faith. These are all works of faith. So dead faith has no works. No repentance, no belief, no baptism. Yet I'm going to God. I'm going to heaven when I die. Nobody goes like that. Then you are banking on your virtue. You're banking on what? Your virtue. I don't know any man or woman was ever born virtuous enough to go to heaven on their own. Nobody. Then God didn't have to send his son. So this is why we need knowledge. The knowledge of God. We need to know, understand what God is, what his kingdom is, what his righteousness is, all these things. Why am I tough at the end is because Jesus was very tough at his end. In the places where he had ministered over and over again. He said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe to you. If the things which I had done was done in Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre, they would have been alive today. He said, I didn't say that. He didn't. We can't have another pattern of ministry other than the boss. He's the boss. I'm not. He's the boss. I'm the das. You can't change the message. Who gives me the right to change the message? He was very tough in the places where he had preached over and over again. He was very tough. He said, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? He says on that day, Sodom and Gomorrah, imagine Sodom and Gomorrah receiving mercy. And Capernaum and Bethlehem and Jericho not receiving mercy. What do we think about God's holiness and his righteousness? So get it very clear. We are not talking about prosperity in the world. We are talking about eternal security. You die, you need to go to the right place and not to the wrong place. And no man knows which hour you will go. It's appointed unto every man to die once. And then it is judgment. So every message is also a preparation for judgment. If you come today or take me today, Lord, I am ready. Ready. We are not afraid, but every time the plane takes up, I still say, commit my spirit into your hands. Still say, if this doesn't land, I need to land in the right place. Okay. 
I will ask the worship team to come and the elders to come as we go to the communion. Take the word of God seriously because it is, it is. You see, can I have the slide, Sammy, while the worship team is coming up here? Can I have the slide back over there? You see this slide? You see all this? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, all this? These are all very good. You know who should you train that? That's exactly what God said. Train your child in the days of his youth. All your children, little ones, young ones, they should be trained in these things so that one day when they believe, they don't have to struggle for these things. This can be trained. This is discipline. I did not learn how to handle my time after I got saved. My father taught me that. I did not learn to read after I got saved. My father taught that. that. I did not learn about duty, kartavya, because I saw my mother. My father was alcoholic and he was very abusive and he could be very violent. But I never saw him ever miss a single meal. Because it didn't matter what she went through. He always was taken care of. Because it was not a question of emotions. It was a question of duty. It's virtue. So we teach our children virtue. Discipline our children in these things. So that one day when they come to faith. Because Hannah brought her son in virtue. In knowledge. In self-control. In perseverance. In godliness. And brotherly kindness. And one day when he was lying before the ark. He heard the voice of the living God. But he was already ready to be the man of God. All he needed was to hear from God. So don't discount any of these things. These are the things that need to be taught. When our children are small. So all the things which I needed. I learned before I was saved. Saw my father, I saw my mother. Incredibly righteous man. Living in another country with all he could do. Never ever took a pipe. Was absolutely perfect about money. When he retired, came with one suitcase and one table. Which somebody gifted him. After working 30 years in another country. That was the kind of man he was. He was alcoholic. I always forgave him for that. But if he ever took a little of the school funds. My mother thinks I don't remember. I remember as a 10 year old boy. Coming to Kerala. My father and me going to the SBA bank. He breaking his insurance. Taking the money. Keeping the packet. In her underskirt. Because we travel 5 days in the train. Telling her to stitch it and keep it over there. Man not taking money from a foreign country to India. India to this thing. To put the money back. That's the kind of man he was. All these things I learned before I got saved. But when you get saved, all these things help you. So all this thing has its place in life. Everything has its place in life. So when you come to the Lord, nobody has to tell you, wake up in the morning and go to the office and sit and study. Who is going to stop you? Nobody is going to stop you. But every day you get up by 8 o'clock, you are in your office. Till 8.30 you are in your office because you are bound by duty. And that's Solomon's last words. Only one thing matters, fear God and obey his command. This is the whole duty of man. You need to understand what virtue means. And it is out of his own virtue. First Peter chapter 3 will say, oh, sorry, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 will say, out of his own virtue he called us. But faith comes at the top. 
All these things are important. All these things. Why do you think I have four brothers and two brothers and two sisters of which only one believes? And everybody is successful in the world. It's because they were disciplined in certain ways by the parents. So they could automatically succeed in the world because they were taught these things. But sadly, only two of us got faith. The others didn't. But ultimately, faith matters. Faith matters. Ultimately, only faith will matter. But I'm not saying discount any of these things. That's what I'm trying to tell you, young people. You have been given opportunities, all of you. Train yourself in these ways. And the day the year open and you hear from God, you're set for life. That's why Samuel was a Samuel till the end of his life. Who can stand like Samuel in his old age and ask the entire nation, tell me, tell me, did you take, did I take your murgi? Did I take your bakra? Did I take it? They said no. Why? The mother. One mother framed his life. Why do you think Samuel was a praying prophet? Because his mother was praying. He saw his mother praying for the first five years of his life. So he became the man who stood between Israel and God. Get these things in, young parents. Don't mollycott. They're not princes and princesses. They may look like one born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Virtue, discipline them, train 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 them. Boy, my father never had to shout at me. He just had to clear his throat. No. No. Bedrooms, bedrooms, kitchen, bathroom. I go through the bathroom, wet my hair, wet my this thing, go through the kitchen. My mother catches me, stand over there. Let me see you. And it's cold water, minus degree. Go back and shower properly and come out. I'm not. <clears throat> Calls my father. Immediately I'm in the tank. Today it's the other way. Children pour water over the father. And you think it's virtue. It's virtue. No. Scripture says Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And after his obedience was made perfect, he became the source of salvation for all of us. Learn that. Add all these things. These things all should be. Another day we will look at that is progressive faith. When faith is added, virtue is added, knowledge is added, self-control is added, perseverance, all these things are added, 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 added. Scripture says you will not stumble. When you reach there, you will get a rich welcome. Added to faith. And bound with love so it never falls off. Bound with love. This is the bolt and this is the nut. Bind it with love. Faith and love. The rest you work at it. Come, let's sing Pastor Vijay. Yeah, Abel. Elders, please come.
we go to the table, as we prepare our hearts, shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We have come to you, we have come to the table instituted by you, Lord. This is in remembrance of your death. That man should never, ever forget the price God paid for our souls. Never. Nobody could have paid this price except you. And no one else could have even ever paid this price. Only you could have done. Perfect God, perfectly holy, righteous and loving. So this morning, Father, as we sit at your table, we remember the life of your son and above all the death of your son and his resurrection too. And as I pray, Father, I pray as your people partake of the emblems of his broken body and his blood, it will bring healing to the whole man. We will believe, as your word says, we shall not be weak but strong. We shall not be ill but be made well and not be asleep but be awakened and quickened in the inner man, O Lord. To walk the rest of this year and the coming years with you, Lord. Growing stronger in faith, Father. That's our prayer, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we come to the end of the service. As I close. Please remember everything that you heard today. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith means you trust God. You take God at his word. You believe he's your father. That's one thing about it. See, I think it was Peter the Great, the Tsar. T-S-A-R-T-Z-A-R. The Tsar of old Russia. And he had this habit of going in mufti, incognito, to check how his citizens were. So one of those winter nights when he was walking through St. Petersburg or something, there was this poor soldier huddled in the snow, sitting over there in guard and fallen asleep. This poor fellow owed a lot of money. So he had written in a piece of paper, calculated everything. To him, of course, it was a huge amount. And he had written over there, who will pay? How will I pay this or something he had written over there? The Tsar was passing by incognito. He looked at it, looked at the paper. He took the paper, wrote his name and signature, and with his signature, put his uh, seal, and he left it in his hand, and he went. The next day morning, this fellow woke up, and he looked at the paper, and he looked, he couldn't believe his eyes. He saw the name was the Tsar's, and the seal was there. Now, what do you do? Now, what he did? He went straight away to the treasury at St. Petersburg and gave the paper, and the man gave him the money. That's how you trust God. You take all your cares, all your needs before him because he's your father. And leave it at him and say, Father, take care of this. Father, take care of it. And you have to take, and other times when he speaks to you, you have to take him at his word. Let me give you one more illustration. Napoleon the Great. These are all great in the world. I think they're all in hell now. But they were all great when they were alive, okay? This guy, these are all smart people, okay? So one day what happens uh, in the battlefield, something, they were all there, soldiers were there. <coughs> Napoleon's favorite uh, horse ran, buckled and ran. So one of the sepoys, you know, corporals, lowest ranking French soldier, ran after, caught the horse and brought it to Napoleon. Napoleon took it and said, thank you, captain. That's all he said. Thank you, Captain. You know what the guy did? He straight away went to the quartermaster and said, give me my uniform. 
And Tepalius is testing him. Do you take him at my word? I know you are a court fuller. I am making you a captain. You are just a sepoy. But the emperor has spoken you are a captain. If you believe the emperor has spoken you are a captain, you are a captain. Change your uniform. And the emperor has spoken over everyone. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You are not wusses. You are not going to walk in defeat. It's a battle of faith. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. And I have kept the faith. It's a fight. Faith is a battle. And the emperor has spoken. He has spoken over every child of his. Irrespective of where you are from, how old you are, it is irrelevant. God has spoken. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I will win this fight. Why? It has been spoken. I will not be defeated. I will not be defeated. I will not be defeated. Even about fighting powers of darkness, never be scared. What did he say? He said, if you bind anything on earth, what did he say? He bound them in heaven. He says, you don't have to bind them in heaven. I already bound them in heaven. But you exercise the authority on earth. You exercise the authority on earth. He said, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions. They shall by no means harm. Why are you afraid? You can't be a fearful soldier. Do not be afraid. Do not have doubt. Do not worry. Do not reason. All you intellectuals, all our young intellectuals sitting over here, do not reason with God. If you ever want to reason with God, go to him and reason about your sin. He says, come, let us reason. Even if your sin was scarlet, I'll make it white as snow. He's already reasoned it out. So even there you don't have to reason. So take faith very, very seriously. Very, very seriously. Very. Because without faith, it is impossible to walk with God, to live the life He wants. It is impossible to please Him. Because everything begins and ends with faith. From beginning till the end, it's a walk and a life of faith. And I shall not be dry. I shall not be empty. This should be your confessions. I shall not be dry. I shall not be empty. And scripture says in Corinthians, your boundaries I will extend. Wherever you are, your boundaries I will extend. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you because you're a loving God, a loving Father, an all-powerful God. Our Father is an all-powerful God. And the greatest fear of man always has been death, Lord. But we don't have to fear death ever again. Because death is victory for your children. Death is going home to our loving Father. So I pray, Father, that today everyone will determine in their heart, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I'll put my trust in my Father, in my Lord Jesus. And I will walk by faith. And my God will add everything I need in my life to fulfill his purpose. It is he who called me. It is who he chose me. He who set me apart. It is he who will touch my mouth. It is he who will fill his word in my mouth. It, I will obey him. I will go where he sends me. And I will not say I am a youth. I will not make that comment. I will not say I am a woman. I will not make that excuse. I will not say I am young. 
I will not make that excuse. I will not say I am too old. I will not make any excuses, Lord. Because everyone you call, you empower. And you send them in your name and in your power, Lord. So we don't have to worry about our name. We don't have to worry about our strength. We have the name of Jesus. And we have the power of heaven behind us, O God. So in your name, in your power, we walk forward in faith, O God. And I pray wherever you have placed your children in school, in college, in office, in home, their boundaries will extend, O God. In prayer and in walk, their boundaries will extend. And this nation shall see the deliverance of the Lord, O Master. Because at a time and an hour like this, you need men and women, children and mothers and fathers, all to arise. And I pray above all, mothers will arise in their prayer closet. Awake, O Deborah, awake. Awake, O Barak, awake. Awake, O Lord, awake. The mothers and the fathers will awake so that the next generation may be saved, O God, and redeemed from the hands of the enemy, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. You brought us thus far. As we go into this new month, I pray for the hand of God to be upon every person. Go with us, go before us, Lord. Let every valley be filled, every hill be brought low, every crooked path made be straight, every rough road be made smooth, not for us, Lord, that the Prince of Glory may come in us and through us and manifest himself to this world, Lord. Come, Lord, be enthroned in the lives of your people. Now, believing by the word and by the communion, by your spirit, we have been sanctified. By faith, we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We open our mouths and we proclaim, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.